Hey, contest players, did you know there is a really good opportunity to qualify for the NHC coming up with our friends at Tampa Bay Downs. It's going to have special coverage of their big weekend coming up on the network this week. But really want you to be focused on Friday, February 16th, and Saturday, February 17th. You can play in this contest, win, place, or show only, $1,000 buy-in, live at Tampa. Make sure you get registered for this in advance. Make your travel plans now. For much more information, you can go to tampabaydowns.com and make sure you sign up today. I'm going to be there in person. Would love to see you out there once again. TampaBayDowns.com to sign up for their February High Rollers contest on February 16th, a Friday, and February 17th, a Saturday. More. Welcome to the In the Money Players podcast. This is our show that we are recording for the races on Saturday, February 17th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, but not for long, getting ready to fly out. I'm going to be in attendance at Tampa Bay Downs this Friday and Saturday there for the contest. If you see me, please say hello. I'm planning on sitting in the contest area with Brad Anderson and really looking forward to seeing Tampa for the first time. It really looks like an enjoyable place to visit. A man who's been there, a man who's here with us today to talk about a little bit of what's going on at Tampa. Look out at uh, the West Coast at Santa Anita, and uh, we'll talk about the sort of what I'd describe as the main event to kick things off. I am referring to a man coming to us from the planet Texas, but it's not that guy. It's the other Texan. It's Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, Pete. And I think I actually wonder if we're at the point where Jonathan should now be referred to as the other Texan. <laughs> can I get can I get can I get upgraded? Is that, can, uh, is can, that possible? We can discuss. But, you know, he's been very busy it. on the YouTube and doing his own shows. Yeah, no, he's been all right. He's been all right. Yeah. But you know, he comes on here yeah. from time to time. But we'll we may, we'll we'll post a listener poll. How about how how about that? <laughs> um, yeah. You you are in addition to many things an, an amateur meteorologist, and it does sound like there might be some weather in the game, uh, both uh, in the day at some point at Tampa on Saturday, which is a little bit of a bummer, but also and possibly more critically, some weather in the game at the fairgrounds. We're going to do a special fairgrounds uh, in the money plus show. There's also an in the money plus show for Tampa on Friday that, uh, that just dropped. If you subscribe over there in the money slash plus, but we will on this show talk about the featured race, the risen star, and it may not be on a dry track. What, what are you seeing? What are you knowing? Yeah. So uh, my uh, incredible powers of deductive reasoning with the way the Tampa card is laid out, led me to believe that maybe they were expecting weather and so there is an 80% chance of rain at fairgrounds on Saturday, which could be a little, a uh, little difficult. Um, we're they're victimized by the El Nino winter as we are too here in Houston. So it has been a much rainier winter than we're accustomed to. And so it looks like the fairgrounds may catch kind of the, the dirty end of that, which hopefully we'll get lucky and it won't be too bad or it won't be too severe. I don't think it's expected to be any kind of, you know, multiple you know, inches. Um, and, and obviously they don't run, they don't run that many big days at the fairgrounds, so I can't imagine it would jeopardize the turf. They kind of kind of protect the turf for the most part outside of those days. But, yeah, we could end up dealing with a wet track, which obviously is not the preferred option but won't stop the show. 
We have a video up already on YouTube. We encourage people to check out the Risen Star little comment contest going on over there as well. We're going to feature uh, the comment that adds the most to the conversation on a future video. I'll say this. It will not be the man on there who keeps telling us we're idiots because we don't pay enough attention to the raw times of the races. Never in my life, Nick, have I been tempted to break out the old racing chestnut uh, time only matters when you're in jail. Cause of course it used to be used to deride uh, to speed figure makers. But I think it is fair to say that raw fractional times only matter when you're in jail. I wish that guy would just talk about something else. Did you get on mute? Yes. I did. Uh, so somebody just tries to discredit you on YouTube comments because you don't look at raw times. Raw, fra- Yeah, especially raw fractional times. It'd be like, oh, how can you say this race was slow when it, you know, and then he'll like quote the raw fractions without paying any attention to the, to the, to the figure, the, 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 the horse from, uh, the, the, I mean, it's been, it's happened a couple of times now with the preps, with these prep races that have been coming back, you know, 80, 85, and we say they're slow races and gets very offended and says slow by who's edict or whatever. And then proceeds to, you know, quote a bunch of seemingly meaningless raw fractional times. What's the furniture like in his padded room? <laughs> that does I mean, come on. Come it's, on. It's, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the yeah. point is the comment contest is way open for the, for the grabbing. Let's, let's see if, uh, if somebody here and, and, you know, we've done this before with the comment contest, promoting them on YouTube and people respond on, on, they, but they'll respond on Twitter. You got to go to YouTube. It's very easy. YouTube.com in the money media channel, put the comments in there. We're going to be doing more free bets and, you know, having fun featuring stuff as well. So definitely check that out. So you can, you can, you can watch that, but obviously this race, um, definitely the most interesting of the Derby preps we've seen so far. We've got uh, three, I think of the horses that are in our current Derby top 10 and both JK uh, and myself picked different horses to actually win the race. What do you make of this year's Risen Star? Well, I mean, you know, to me, the interesting thing about this race is Hall of Fame, right? And and how Hall of Fame is going to run kind of without Lasix. And we're going to learn a lot about how good his second career start was. Um, because it, on paper, it was very, very good. There's no question about it. Um, he 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 stalked a very very hot pace went on with it very nicely won by over 10 lengths obviously so again i mean these these steve asmussen horses generally produce it usually is not a lasix aided situation and i mean he did a lot of running that day so i'm very intrigued by how he's going to perform obviously to me you know from a betting perspective he is the he's the most interesting horse in the race by far um, Sierra Leone is a deserving favorite. I know he's the second choice on the morning line. I have a very hard time believing that he won't go off the favorite, even with Track Phantom's sort of gaudy record that he's accumulated so far. Sierra Leone is a massively popular horse. And, you know, Pete, when push comes to shove, I'm not exactly sure why at this point. Um, I know you and I kind of talked about it the other day and with regards to some other horses, but, you know, he sort of was this – was, this was the quintessential seductive late rally that he made in the Remsen and I think the biggest misunderstanding about his performance in the Remsen is that he had some massively wide trip. And we all seem to feel like the best part of the racetrack that day was down on the inside. 
And he was inside until he went outside to make his move. But again, I mean, horses with his style are almost always going to have to cover ground. They're going to be more prone to trouble. And I think the blinkers going on probably will would indicate to you that Chad Brown is looking for this horse to be more engaged. He doesn't want him to drop 12 or 15 lengths out. I think putting Tyler Gaffleone on there is on him is a good decision as well. Uh, Jose Ortiz seems to have this this endless desire to let horses drop far out as far out as possible and wait all day to move on them. Um, that just doesn't win dirt racing at a high level. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he comes back with. I think Track Phantom is is obviously very good, and uh, no surprise to all Rosario opts to go there after riding both he and Hall of Fame. Um, Track Phantom has a lot of speed. I think he'll be on the lead. I think he can still clear from that outside post, but it's going to boil down to how much pressure he gets. So I, if I was picking the race, I would pick a stable mate. I, I would take the seven Hall of Fame. Um, I would probably find a way to include the eight Catching Freedom as well, who looks like he may have, have taken a really big step forward uh, last time out. I will admit that I, I have a soft spot for this horse uh, because one of my dear friends who passed away, um, not of COVID, but during in the first year of COVID, uh, was a guy I met at the Jockey Club at Sam Houston about 25 years ago, and he bought into some Hidden Brook horses, and the best one they ever had was Catch My Drift. So he is the dam of Catching Freedom, who's turned out uh, though thus far to be a, a really nice horse. And so um, if he continues to move forward, obviously he has a he has a spot on the trail as well. You hit the two that J.K. and I talked about, which were the seven and the eight. I'm very much with Hall of Fame, and while I completely understand Rosario jumping ship here, I'm sort of hoping that adds to the price. I don't know that we're going to get the six to one of the morning line, uh, not knocking the line, but just, you know, it's not an easy line to make in this race, but there's a lot of talented horses to spread points amongst. But, you know, I do think you're going to get a halfway decent price on this horse, something in the in the four to one range, no, no worse than three to one. What would be your wild guess at what kind of a price we're going to get on hall of fame here? Um, yeah, nine to two, four to one, something like that. I mean, the thing that, the thing that will happen in this race that will adjust the prices is that, I mean, the one is going to go off a hundred plus to one, the two is going to go off 60 or 70 to one. And obviously you can't, you can't account for that on a morning line. So, I mean, that's what enables you to have five horses that go off under 10 to one, which, I mean, we're going to have probably six. Um, so, you, you you know, you try and find the horses that are going to go up in price. The thing about this field is that there is a tremendous amount of depth because, I mean, we've not, we didn't mention, I talked about four horses and didn't even mention Otter Marie, who closed out his two-year-old campaign winning the Kentucky Jockey Club with a 92 fig. And, you know, quite honestly, if you crossed out Whit Beckman and rode in Chad Brown, Otter Marie would be, would be close to favorite in this race. And, you know, most people don't realize that Witt used to work for Chad. So, I mean, he's not, you know, he's obviously not a household name. He's not somebody that's won a lot of big races. And this horse obviously has a, a pretty, pretty modest background, but, uh, but is a horse with talent. So, yeah, I mean, I think nine to two, four to one, somewhere in that range on, on Hall of Fame, I think will probably, uh, one thing that I would say, that I would say, very plainly, very confidently, as I believe Sierra Leone will go off the favorite in this race. And uh, we'll see, and especially if it rains, because with that good sloppy muddy track, seal track race in the, uh, in the rims, and I think a lot of people will go that direction. Yeah, I'm hoping the weather won't be an issue for Hall of Fame. might even help if it makes the track a, a little more speed figuring. We'll have to see exactly how that plays out. Honor Marie, certainly worthy of attention. Really cool pedigree and one that I expect is supposed to improve with time and distance. Honor codes have been that way. And then, you know, the, the smart strike dam. Very, very interesting runner. If I forced you to grade your opinion sort of into A's and B's, it sounds like your A line is 7-8. Who would you want to use as backups? I would probably add in 
Um, I would add in track Phantom as an A. I don't really want to be against him. And these horses for Asmussen in this scenario have run so well over the years. I'd probably make Sierra Leone a backup and make him kind of prove prove it to me. And I'd use Ana Maria as a backup as well. So I, I would have those those in my mix. And you know, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't. I, I'm sorry. And I would have. Yeah, I, I, that's how I would go. I don't. I'm not going to be altogether shocked if a horse like Resilience runs well either. You know, he might he might be just getting good. Um, and Mott has done well shipping these kind of horses out over the years. And I remember the year where the Louisiana Derby, I think, was split in. Um, during COVID and he had one, one of his horses ran well, a, a Marty Wygod horse that didn't end up going on to do much, but yeah, I mean, Mott's the kind of guy that can definitely have a horse ready in this scenario. If you want more on fairground, sign up for in the money plus the great Frank McGoey scheduled to be joining us tomorrow. That'll be fun. Let's talk about the Tampa races really uh, pretty quickly. I just had three spot plays and rather than have you like go through the card or whatever you could just uh, sort of tell me what you think of of the the ones that i'm gonna talk about here i'm gonna do them in order from sort of my third pick to my top pick this is a little format we're gonna be playing around with a little more in sequence you know sometimes we're getting paid to talk about a certain sequence and obviously we're gonna keep doing that but then on other cards like this that we're, we're sort of choosing because i'm gonna be there i think you might as well take a little bit of a different approach i want to start off with race number nine at Tampa on Saturday. This is the nightcap. So this is the race, you know, if, if history is a correct indication, most of the people, not all of the people who cash in the contest are going to have to, uh, are going to have to hit this race. And I just really liked a horse for, for me, the six runner charging arrow really uh, jumped off the page, really liked how consistent this horse has been. I think this race is going to be run to suit. It looks to me like there is enough pace to set up the late run. I don't love deep closers at Tampa, but I'm hoping based on these recent pace figures, the changing arrow might not be able to, might not have to be too far back. And I just really like the turn back and distance for this horse after being a little bit close to that red fraction on time form us last time the barn is flying as well. This is the horse. I think I would be, if I'm in this and I don't, I don't think I'm going to play in this contest, but if I were, this would be the horse I'd be looking to build things around, probably wanting to cover, you know, if he runs at a racetrack and runs second or third, if that's possible. But uh, Charging Arrow was the horse I thought was the most interesting in the Tampa nightcap on Saturday. How did you see this one? Yeah, no argument there. I thought this was an interesting race. And I mean, I, I will admit that I was a little drawn um, at first glance to, uh, to him. Um, to a slightly lesser extent to a horse like, like Callie, who, who, you know, has worked his way through his conditions so far, winning three in a row for Jose D'Angelo. And I like, I, I understand this is an 0 for 27 trainer. This horse is coming back in two weeks. So he's basically running on D'Angelo's training. And over the years, I mean, this was a great angle with Randy Persaud in New York that, and Randy has actually started to win at a more consistent rate lately, but Randy would claim and and run the horse essentially on the prior trainer's training. Uh, Callie, who also looks like he might be quick enough to really be involved throughout, but I felt like Charging Arrow was a good fit with the weight break, with the pace scenario. Um, I was also intrigued to see that Shibway is still owned by Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners, having relocated to the barn of Craig Smith and run twice up uh, north of the border. And this is a horse who, you know, maybe he was cut out to sprint the whole time, Pete. I mean, they, they, got, they went long with him shortly after he ran okay for Rudy Brissett behind Extra and Aho. And, um, but, you know, you go back to that Ellis Park sprint in the, in the $100,000 maiden claiming race, and that was pretty damn good. So, you know, maybe this horse was cut out to sprint the whole time. He gets that good outside stalking trip, which works so well at Tampa. 
Shibway was definitely one that I was looking to to be one of the potential backups, and and I'll take a longer look at Callahoo. I think that's a that's a good point as well. What do you make of the number nine Imperial King in here? This is the horse that was installed as the three to one morning line favorite. Um, sort of a second off layoff situation back in 43 days off that much longer layoff and, you know, has figures and form to put in the mix, but I, you know, I, I wasn't in love with. Yeah. I mean, voided claim for 12, five now and for 16, not necessarily the greatest sign, but again, I mean, these voideds are all for different reasons. Um, this is a horse who's consistently run well at Tampa. He seemed relatively obvious. Feels like a horse will get a good trip stocking on the outside. So no big argument from me. Um, we'll, won't be shocked if he wins at all. One of the ones that I'll probably back up charging arrow with if uh, in position to do so. Let's move on to my the second spot I wanted to talk about. Race number six. Uh, this is a maiden special weight for three-year-olds going six and a half on the dirt. And I was very intrigued just from a class point of view. And a, I don't have a workout report or anything, but just the workouts on the, ta- the the tab sort of leaps off the page with this number three incinerator. And it's really almost as much of anything else like about the, the weakness of the, of the rest of the field. This isn't really a win early pedigree that incinerator has, but it is a, a, a classy pedigree, kind of a sexy cross with the scat daddy on top through flame away and spites town as the damn sire cost 190,000. Based on those works, based on that pedigree, I thought it might just be better than these. I mean, looking at a horse like the six, Vino Santo coming here in the third start, I thought this was really interesting. I was digging in this pedigree, and four of the siblings won first out. Okay, so it doesn't. It makes me th- that does make me think. Well, well, hey, maybe this isn't a horse that has to keep, um, you know, stair step improving through the maiden starts. But the other thing is those were all in low maiden claimers. Like, I just don't know. You know I think Vino Santos is going to take all the money here. The morning line has it close five to two versus three to one for my horse incinerator. But I was sort of hoping that Vino Santos and some of these others might make the market for a horse like incinerator who, who I'm pretty interested in in race number six. You have any fancies in this one? Yeah. I, uh, incinerator's got a, you know, very knock around type pedigree, a lot of, a lot of claimers, a lot of hard knocking horses in the, uh, in the first family, couple of winners, um, went for, you know, a decent amount of money for a flame away back in July of 22. That's when he sold uh, presumably as a weanling at that point. And he seemed to make plenty of sense. My problem with, and the reason why I would always have a hard time betting a horse like Vino Santo is that this horse did had no improvement. It's second out. Right. And I mean, I, I can't, I have a very hard time taking those kind of horses as they begin to accumulate defeats um, because he didn't really run any better at all. He sort of ran a, a very uh, modest race. And, and obviously that Ari's Magic debut that he's coming out of has not held up. Ari's Magic came back and just got his head handed to him in his next start, which was an allowance race at, uh, at Gulfstream that featured uh, Bourne Noble. So, um, yeah, I agree. I, w- I would look for alternatives without question. And, you know, if you are looking for alternatives, you're sort of taking Matoli's Wish or Incinerator, both of whom come from Barnes that can win first time out. Obviously, Juan Ariagata is winning like crazy. Matoli's Wish is trainer, but, you know, his pedigree uh, is geared towards first out success a little bit more so being by Matoli. But um, I-, I agree. I would-, I would probably side with Incinerator in what is definitely a below par maiden special weight event for the circuit. Yeah, it's a good spot for, for a first year that doesn't necessarily uh, scream 
precocity. One more race at Tampa on Saturday. We're going to talk about, <laughs> you're going to give me a hard time for making my Tampa bet of the day, uh, kind of a, a horse I'm guessing is going to be the morning line favorite. Actually, gosh, the morning line, this horse is, is significantly priced longer than his stable mate. And, and I much prefer him on blood. That's number seven, Hurricane Express. It's well-known stat about Chad Brown and his insane success with first years on turf at Tampa, which seems impossible given that you'd think they just catch money because they're Chad Brown. But part of it might also be part of the reason this ROI might be positive and part of the reason why his win percentage is so impressive is because he so often has more than one in these races. So the number, I'll give you the raw numbers because I bothered to look them up. 17 for 45. So that would be 38%. But the really crazy thing is a 207 the, the profit on a $2 bet is 207 So you're well in the green, um, despite all those, the, the obviousness of this. But the real thing I was intrigued by with this horse is, you know, more than ready. Not a prolific debut sire, but rock solid at 10%. Certainly excellent on turf, both sprints and routing. And then the dam, Homerique, who folks will remember from a couple of memorable runs, a couple of big runs back in 2019, a grade two win and God, was it second or third in the Diana, maybe? But Homerique won her 10 furlong debut by like eight. I just think this Hurricane Express looks like one who could have uh, the precocity to get the job done. And it's interesting that factor analysis here, uh, pedigree to me, um, looks a little bit more oriented towards dirt, is the one that they're making the two-to-one favorite. Maybe that's partially because Camacho shows up here. But I think Hurricane Express is a very interesting alternative to his stablemate in race number four. Hopefully it stays on the turf. Uh, did you have any thoughts on, on the fourth at Tampa? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really see this disparity in odds. Um, I don't, I don't see why the seven would be six to one and the eight would be two to one other than Camacho, which, you know, I don't know. I don't know how big a deal that is. I mean, if you remember Hector Diaz rode, um, rode the Peter Brand horse, whose name I'm, I'm forgetting that won all those races and then lost the, lost the uh, Diana and we never saw her again. She debuted at Meadowlands and I, I can't remember her name, but he rode her early in her career. Um, all of these brand horses seem to run together. Ironically, Homerique, when she won her biggest race domestically, it was New the New York and she bested a horse owned by Clarovich Stables that you alluded to a few minutes ago, competition of ideas. So it's kind of funny that they're squaring off again. Um, I agree. I mean, if you're getting three times the price, even two times the price on the seven, I would take her for sure. The only thing I, I caution myself with sometimes, and I remind myself of it frequently, is that nobody has won more turf races with horses with no turf pedigree than Chad Brown. That's a good and point. And it's not the factor oh, analysis has no... You know, sometimes in Saratoga, the worse the pedigree is, the better they run, seemingly. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, yeah, no, that's the that's the concern um, when you take a swing against these. But, I mean, I agree. You're supposed to be betting. You're absolutely supposed to be betting Hurricane Express here if she's a better price. He's a better price. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out at Tampa. Should be a should be a fun day again. If you're out there, please uh, come and say hi. It's uh, it's always fun to get to, to see people on the road. I'm really looking forward to hearing what everybody says. It's an extremely charming track. I should be there for first post tomorrow. Let's head out west, Nick, for a quick run through this pick five at Santa Anita, starting with race number five, where we have three year old Phillies maiden special weights going a mile on the turf. Uh, how did you see this one? Yeah, um, you know, I think this is a race where the best turf horse and the best dirt horse are going to get the majority of the action at the windows. And, and I mean, I'm speaking respectively of the seven and nine. Uh, I, I went with the seven Tahini as my top pick in large part because I do think she could develop a bit of a pace edge on this field, stretching out in distance, 
and uh, I'm, I'm generally I generally try to be hip to horses that are going to be forwardly placed on the turf at Santa Anita. It is not the easiest course to make up a ton of ground over. And Tahini's second family is heavily geared towards turf. The second dam was a filly named Silver Reunion who uh, who Grand Motion trained to a lot of success for Burton Jones. So there's there's good second family turf pedigree. The dam more fun again was a two time turf winner and uh, ran in a couple of stakes races. She was actually third in the Dr. James Penny Memorial and recent ran as recently as 2019. It's amazing that these horses we're getting old, Pete. That's kind of the only way that I can describe it. Seeing seeing Homer Reek in a dam line too didn't didn't help my uh, my feelings of age. But uh, but I, so I thought Tahini looked solid and I'm a Joker. Ran well last out. I don't have a a big argument against this horse. Uh, coming in off that good second place finish locally behind Sea Dancer. The 10 Matters has an interesting pedigree being out of Bairama, who was a, a four-time turf winner. Um, she, of course, ended up being the dam of a known agenda who won the Florida Derby, but pretty much everybody else that she produced, the other horse that she produced, I should say, that could really run was more of a turf and synthetic type. So this is much more of a of a turf and synthetic type of pedigree. So I'd start it with the 7 and 9, keep it relatively simple, maybe back up a little bit with the 5 and 10. All right. Uh, interesting. I had a couple horses in the mix that you did not. I definitely saw the angles on Tahini. Um, you know, Arch, the dam sire, such a good turf influence. And Pharaoh, as we know, uh, ending up being a very strong sire on the turf. I thought another one with that interest, an interesting first-time turfer based on pedigree was the number one, Kathan Marissa, another Pharaoh. And this dam was a grade one winner, group one winner. Greater group in Chile. Which one is it? It's great, isn't it? I'd go grade, yeah. <laughs> I hate asking those questions. I don't know the answer to, but anyway, very you know fascinating connections here. We've seen Dottori lift up these turf horses a couple of a couple lengths, uh, Dub and Dutro out there in California. I definitely wanted some Kath and Marissa on the tickets, and Laudatory, the three runner, was another one I wanted to at least make sure we talked about two sprints to a route which is an angle I like going long on the turf, caught plenty of cash both times. I thought that was a legit trip. And the other interesting thing I thought was this dam actually never ran shorter than a mile. So the stretch out might be able to bring her forward as well. So I'm going to mess around one, three, and seven. Nick Scott did seven and nine on the top line and five and 10 on the B line as we move on to race number six, a race that kind of gave me a headache, Nick, if I'm being honest, $32,000 claimers going seven furlongs on the dirt. I think I'm one of the horses I'm going to use is coming out of a, of a truly horrendous race. This race that John Dunbar won. I mean, when you look at John Dunbar's form, the idea that this horse was one to five in the race probably tells you everything you need to know, but here's the thing. Um, horse obliged, got the job done, has decent figures, has caught money the last couple of times. And I think it's going to get a really good trip. So I definitely did want to have, not willing to stand alone, but I wanted to have some John Dunbar in the mix. And then another horse I thought I could tell stories about was the six Mish, who at first glance just seems like much better on turf, but digging into those dirt races and, and watching those trips a little bit, I thought I had kind of legitimate excuses for stopping in both of those starts. I thought it might be worth one more chance. So I was going to try to play this thing eight and six. Who did you like in race six at Santa Anita? I am wide open to including others. Yeah, I, I picked the five Vendetti Joe, um, who kind of ran in place last time out, uh, somehow went off six to five against Mystic Flyer. We talked about that race actually the day before. Yeah. And I basically thought that Mystic Flyer was like the cinch's cinch 
in there to kick off the, uh, the I think it was, that was the first leg of the pick six that day. He was like totally lone speed on paper and uh, somehow Bendetti Joe went off the favorite. It feels like a good cutback. It's, it's kind of a good Santa Anita cutback because this horse isn't that slow. So the fact that he has some positional speed will definitely keep him in the mix. Um, with that said, I mean, I did pick John Dunbar second. You're right. That field John Dunbar's coming out of was horrendous. Um, there's a reason why he was one to five because you can see his form is not much. But um, it realistically spotted first time against winners should get a good trip, kind of stalking on the outside. So uh, I, I was going to use the five and eight. I can easily be talked into Mish. I don't have a big argument against the one stop and a Tres who now second off the layoff turf to dirt. Um, didn't run well first time against winners, but I mean, that was race one by Booksmart, who kind of went on a winning streak shortly thereafter and, and is a much, much better horse than anything that we're going to see in here. So, um, yeah, I like the I like the prospects there of him running a bit better here. Five eight one is how is what we'll call it, or do you want me? Five eight one are exactly my numbers. Yep, I would I would say five five and eight as A's and one and six as backups. Okay, I like that. We'll make that. Uh, I'll make that adjustment here in the notes. I'm going to send around to the plus people. Yeah, the thing about using John Dunbar, despite the fact that we're both sort of mocking the the way that race looked, I made this point on the In the Money Plus show for Friday. We did for Tampa that sometimes in these races, you with, with these non beaten twos, you just want the horse with the fewest starts. <laughs> like that, that's actually worth something sometimes. And uh, John Dunbar qualifies on that angle. Let's move on to race number seven. It's the hinge of this pick five and it's stakes action going down the hill in the baffle uh, on paper. I think a lot of people are going to see it as a, as a, a match between uh, the three stay hot and the four Hedwig, though hard head hard headed is actually also uh, the same three to one that Hedwig is and voltage, not far behind it, four to one. How do you separate this uh, seemingly tightly matched field? Uh, yeah, agreed. This is a very tightly matched field. Um, I actually didn't, didn't see the morning line. Did it just come out? Yeah. It just uh, I was, I was time for him as we're chatting here. Without it. Okay, good. Yeah. I wanted to see, I mean, obviously stay hot is favored. I would assume, right? Yes. Um, Okay. Yeah. I, I picked hard headed. Uh, this is, this is you know, the kind of horse that I can warm up to very, very easily. He's got a good pedigree for turf uh, being by Oscar performance progeny or 18% first time turf. The, uh, the dam was a four time turf winner. She's dropped a couple of turf winners. I don't really, I mean, three to one doesn't exactly get my, my blood flowing. Um, I don't know why anybody would bet on Voltage. I, I thought Voltage was a cinch in that race at Del Mar, and he was horrible, and he came back and was even worse in the Zuma Beach. So, I mean, unless you've got – and he didn't really run well last time at all. I understand he's probably not a dirt horse. I don't know why anybody would bet him. I mean, I picked the race one, three, four. I would use the one and three, though. I don't really think I'd probably even go out of my way to use Hedwig, who I guess I could probably use as a backup. But I don't know. I thought Hard-Headed would probably be the best speed, and Stay Hot's probably the best horse. So I tried to keep it simple. And that'll probably blow up in my face, but you know it seemed relatively simple to me. I thought Hardheaded's last was good, and again, if he's a turf move up at all, um, then he's gonna he's gonna definitely run even better here. And I'm figuring that given that they purchased him towards the end of last year, Hronis uh, and Sadler are very sharp. They use a lot of good bloodstock agents, and I'm sure they had an eye on this horse getting to turf as well. So it makes sense there. Yeah, I like hard headed. I wanted a, I wanted more of a price, and this was the one I had as my backup. I like Hedwig a little bit more than you do, I think, and maybe some of this is me being a wise guy and wanting to beat Stay Hot, just with the idea that I felt like you know, sort of everything worked out right in that trip last time in the Demille, and you know, this is stated as a as a prep race. And, you know, going down the hill is different enough. And I also think there's a world in which the crowd's going to go nuts for Stay Hot here. 
I don't know, maybe not. But I was thinking when I handicapped this without the morning line, I was thinking Stay Hot was going to be this heavy favorite. And that meanwhile, Hedwig, who I it looks like more of a true turf sprinter who had the stamina to have the lead laid on and almost hang on going the six and a half at uh, at Kentucky Downs, I thought might be, get it might be the right. Stay Hot, as you say, is probably the better horse. I thought that uh, Hedwig might have the better situation be catching the better spot against Stay Hot today. But I definitely do want to use hard-headed as well. And yeah, Voltage is going to have to show a little bit more before I'm interested in, in putting him on my tickets again. Let's go on to race number eight, $12,000 claimers, five and a half, full field of 10 um, heading postward in this spot. And uh, this was a race where I was extremely boring. I, I felt like the the two horses with the best numbers looked like the right ones. You have a horse in Oil Can Knight who uh, really likes it around here, generally runs his race, and it's faster than what a lot of these are. And then it felt like a patron Doro had a had a chance to to get a terrific trip on or near the front end. And I, I'm just very boring. I was going to try to lock it up five, seven, survive in advance. Can you bring in, a, in anything a little bit more creative in this spot? My creative horse is the 10 afternoon heat, who I thought maybe was going to get the right kind of pace set up in here. And they kind of ran in place last time in the race that Handers Dream comes out of with Midico as well. Um, so I thought maybe he, you know, with that sneaky figure improvement, also gets a rider upgrade to Kyle Frey. He was one I could make a little bit of a case for. Again, it's a it's a weak case. It's a it's a squint to see it type of case for sure. Uh, Patron Doro to me looks like clearly the horse to beat. It's not a great look that this horse was avoided claim for twenty five and is now in for twelve five. But on numbers, I mean, he towers over this field. We're just going to basically have to gamble that he's even a fraction of the horse that we saw at Los Al back in September. You know, that's often the case with these lower level claimers is they'll go out of form very quickly. I, I mean, between Patron Doro and, and Handers, uh, not so much Handers Dream, but uh, the other Genero Vallejo horse, uh, El Diablo Rojo, you know, those horses figure-wise look like very good fits in here. I do worry that Genero Vallejo is O for the meat and is really not winning at all. So that was kind of my concern. He's also got brutal numbers first off with trainer changes. Um, so that was my worry, but those horses seem relatively obvious to me. I mean, I think I'm just going to – I need a I need a better price pick along the way. Um, so I'll probably pick the 10 on top just to try and hope for a meltdown. He's 12 to one on the morning line. I mean, I'd even probably want more than that because he's going to need some things to happen, but yeah, mainly, mainly five, seven and 10 for me. I'll probably use the one, two and four as well. This is my, my cast a wide net race. No doubt about it. <laughs> hope for the best. Who would you make the top, the top pick the 10 just on principle? 10, yeah. I'll make many, it. You yeah. might as well put a price on top. I best, think that it, makes sense. Exactly. Best price. Why not take him? You made the key point that I should have made about Petrodoro too. It's just a new low level uh, for a horse like this. That, that that could be very, very, very dangerous. So yeah, I'm, I'm writing it down seven five. But I'm going to probably do something. One of my combos will have all the other ones you mentioned, the 10, 1, 2, and 4 as well. Let's move on to the last race we're going to talk about on the show. Race number nine, Maiden Claimers at the $50,000 level. We're going a mile. We've got 11 of them uh, going or scheduled at least to go postward in this spot. When it comes to this late pick five and all these late picks at Santa Anita on Saturday, Nick, how are we going to get paid? I'll tell you, Pete, I'm not going to be surprised if the two Ghost Coast loses. I'm going to be shocked. I think this horse is an absolute cinch in here. His last race was significantly better than it looks on paper. I mean, he made this wild 
premature move. That was a period of time early in the meet where inside and speed dominated on the turf. He made this long, wide move. You look going into the first turn, and the race ended up coming in 7-5-1. And, or, I'm sorry, 7-1-5, I believe. And if you look, the 7-1-5 and five are all along the rail. And yeah. he was never anywhere near the inside. He was wide the entire way. He made a huge move around the turn, flattened out late. I mean, he if he gets a better time ride here and is able to save any ground, I think he'll be extremely tough to beat. So I don't love you know going wild for a, what should end up being a pretty pretty solid favorite. But um, and, and this will probably be the day that Quintessence beats him because I'm finally giving up on him. I but um, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't, no, I can't, I can't get with quintessence, even with the blinkers going on and with them looking like they've got a, a one-way ticket to the front. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's gotta be the two for me here. I couldn't find any alternatives. I, I hear you. I'll throw out a couple of other ideas, but ghost coast, one of those things where you see the O for seven, maybe that makes you flinch, but it really shouldn't. I mean, last time was the first time in maiden claimer and you throw in that trip. And I mean, for all the reasons you say, we are looking at the most likely winner here as your uh, presumptive favorite. But I found in my life in these situations that it's often not a bad idea to, to throw in the horse that just beat that 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 the horse like Ghost Coast and Caribbean King is another one who I think you can make the case. Um, you know, you see the eight starts, but it's only the last two in Maiden Claimers, and both were probably um, bo- both were pretty pretty rock solid, really uh, for the level. I mean, maybe moved a little bit early last time. Um, you know, d- didn't really what wasn't as good. Um, what wasn't as good two back as uh, as, as Ghost Coast, but. This is a horse that I think is going to get a bit of a more forward sit against this group looking at a pace map, and I did want to have in there. Unfortunately, it's one of these things where <laughs> this is going to probably be the second choice. It's not like it's some long-priced alternative. And then I had one in here that's just goofy, and it, I mean, this is like almost a non-angle, but this is a little bit of an insanity insurance horse for me just because happening to notice that Get Kraken was – all right, first race is a gelding. I mean, a horse should really be treated as a first-time starter. But the form, and I, yeah, I know, the form of a race doesn't really matter when the horse ran dead last and did no running. But just the fact, just bothering to notice that five horses came out of the get uh, Kraken race and and won makes me, and knowing the post is so bad, I mean, this horse is going to be 30 to 1, I would assume. I will have a penny through the 11 <laughs> Kraken as well. I can't really make an intelligent case for it, but it's just, uh, you know, half a half a hunch based on all those winners out of that first race and just just the crazy price this horse is going to be. I, I can't see anybody gravitating to this one. 12 to 1 of the morning line would be an underlay, but I don't, I think, I mean, am I right that this horse is going to be 30 to 1? Yeah, he's going to be a huge price for sure. Coming back from a long layoff as well. Um, but I, I don't have a big argument with it. And, and I think, you know, there's, it's a good race to have a couple of totally off the wall horses in it. That's, that's good. Yeah, that's right. It's the kind of thing where you either take your approach in single or you want to try to bring in something at a bit of a price. Well, I've kept you over time, Nick. It is time to uh, let you go and get back to your life. We will be talking again very soon. Appreciate your time and effort today. And we'll be talking soon. Sounds great. My friend, safe travels. Talk to you soon. Next up on the show, we bring in a returning guest for the first time in the calendar year, 2024, but most certainly not the last. Always a pleasure to catch up with our friend north of the border, coming to us from Woodbine to talk about the JRA races Saturday night into Sunday morning. He's Klaus Ebner. Klaus, uh, how's the year been so far? 
Hey, Pete, it's, it's all right. You know, again, uh, a little bit under the weather, but that's okay. It's, you know, that time of year, we, as, as we both know, on the East Coast. So we'll fight through the cold and then hopefully have a, uh, a winner on the weekend and a, and a tot of rum to help things out. <laughs> yes, a little. You sound like you could use a hot whiskey or something like that. But we very much appreciate you playing Hurt because this is an important weekend, not just the first JRA action we're going to be talking about in 2024, but a little bit of extra juice uh, reason to pay attention, reason to stay up late, reason to go to inthemoneypodcast.com and look for the full PPs and analysis that you and the team do. Because in addition to the February stakes, the race you know that, that I was thinking of as the most significant one, we do have derby points and derby prep race action in the form of the hyacinth stakes. Let's start there. Uh, not not a derby prep in the way that we think of our uh, derby preps, but but a race that does have the potential, as we've seen in years past, to, to be sending horses over in this direction. Let's talk about the highest in stakes. What's uh, what's interesting about it uh, this year? How is the field shaping up? Yeah, so so I think, you know, part of the challenge that, that they've had with the JRA is really now, you know, traditionally both the February stakes and the highest and the road to the derbies has been kind of focused around, okay, keep the horses in Japan, and then uh, they kind of would, would hope to ship towards the derby. But I think what the you know momentum I've seen now with both the Saudi Derby as well as the UAE Derby is that you know top Japanese three-year-old dirt horses will primarily now aim for those two races and then onto the Derby. That's kind of what we've seen so far. We saw that with you know Dermot uh, Sodagaki last year with kind of his uh, you know two starts in the Middle East then onto the Derby. So. You know, I, I think that we may see a horse still go the the route of uh, the Japan Road to the Derby. Still, that's that's not a you know that's not impossible. Uh, but I think you know just in terms of what I've seen so far with nominations to both the Saudi Derby as well as the UAE Derby, is that a lot of the the better ones we'll say from last year will aim towards those events as opposed to some of the the Japan Road to the Derby. But you know, again, in this this instance here, there's still points up for grabs in terms of the Japan road to the Derby. Um, it's, it's, it's a kind of interesting field in the form of, you know, you have a lot of horses that are coming out of either allowance or maiden wins last time out. You know, you do have a horse near here that's already earned some Derby points and that's a horse called unquenchable it will be ridden by Christophe Lemaire. So it should take some money. This is a, the dolphin horse uh, by the street cat out of, out of a pyro mare. So certainly is one that uh, should have no chal- uh, no issue if you want to call it that with the dirt. Um, Second last time out of allowance race, uh, you know, close from the back. Lamar was aboard that day. That was a Tokyo as well at the same distance. So, you know, I, I think that this is probably one of the favorites in this race and one that people will be focusing on just because Lamar is riding and it's a good dolphin horse. So things to like about that one, you know, this, this horse finished third, two starts back to Amante Bianco. And Amante Bianco will be probably one of the horses that will be aimed towards one of those Middle Eastern races. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, I just think that uh, he's probably, in my opinion, probably one of the better horses in the race. There are a few others in here that I'm kind of looking at. Uh, you know, there's a horse called uh, Chikapa, which is by Real Steel out of an Into Mischief mare, who also comes into here off of a win at uh, six furlongs last time out. Has primarily done most of his running on dirt, uh, has yet to finish worse than second on dirt uh, in his uh, limited career so far. So again, one that could you know make a, a bit of a you know a bit of a bit some noise. We want to call it that. Um, one who I'm looking at as as you know possibly an up and comer in here that kind of has shown some uh, some form, if you will. And that's uh, a horse called Ballon d'Or, 
Sure. Uh, there's some horse by New Year's Day out of a rulership mare. Um, last time I finished uh, third in a you know mile and eighth race on the NAR circuit, which is a Grade Three event that time. So I think one that is one that certainly can, can you know run a good effort in here. Uh, already has some stakes you know place quality in here. Um, and then if you kind of go more towards the the outsiders in the field, uh, there's a horse that I, I kind of really interested in. Uh, it's trained by Mister Yahagi, so we all know what he can do. And it's a horse called YY Legend. Uh, finished first last time out at a allowance race at uh, seven furlongs at, at Kyoto uh, back on January 20th. And, and is one I'm, I'm kind of probably leaning more towards just because he seems to be rounding into form and, and has the right connections there. So, yeah, in my opinion, wide open field, I think a quenchable will be favorite, Pete. Um, but I'll probably lean towards a horse called uh, YY Legend in that, in that event. It is interesting because the Saudi race doesn't actually award derby points. But I guess the idea is a horse that does well there will be set up to run very well in the UAE Derby, which is a hundred points to the winner. So that's why it's still sort of on the prep race schedule, even though it doesn't award points itself. So that makes sense. I've been speaking with Alex Henry in a previous visit of hers about Japan, maybe internally. um, And I I don't know if this is in, in effect for this year or something they're talking about for the future, but having their own sort of dirt triple crown and i wanted to ask you about that and what the progress on that is and if that's something that might actually keep more horses uh, home in japan as opposed to having them shipped to these shores what, what do you know about the, about the the dirt triple crown possibility for for japan itself yeah so so there will be an, a dirt uh, triple crown for the for the three-year-olds this year in japan on the nar circuit so I think the NAR circuit realized, because that's all they run as dirt, as we kind of have mentioned in the past, Pete. So because of that, there kind of isn't very many dirt races in Japan from, we'll say, January through to, you know, almost May or or June. So at least nothing of, of, you know, of note, we'll say. That's a a kind of graded stakes or or at least a, a stakes race of note. So what they're doing in Japan is kind of, you know, having horses and races available for those three-year-olds that are kind of, you know, not turf horses in the JRA or NAR circuit, obviously, uh, and pointing them towards this triple, dirt triple crown. And again, I think that's, it's a very, you know, great effort by the NAR to do this. Uh, and it makes sense because again, the, the amount of dirt racing that they have in Japan is obviously, you know, vast now and, and it's, it's obviously the other surface um but and there's they're kind of just taking care of a need and that's just you know three-year-olds that want to go more of a distance and you know you're offering the carrot by offering neutral ground so yeah i think it makes sense i doubt as i think about it though i can argue it each way i mean that's a great thing to have for a certain part of the horse population but i would still think that the best dirt horses would have their eyes on the prize of the the, the kentucky derby and the run for the roses not 100%. unlike you know how baseball you know japan really embraces the idea of baseball players coming and and playing in the major leagues even though there's an incredibly successful domestic league is that is that a decent analogy maybe yes. and and hopefully we'll, we'll still see some of the top ones the dermasodagakes come over here and 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 try to make a run on the first saturday in may i i, I... Agree with you 100%, Pete. So, yes, I think the top ones will be aimed for Saudi. The top ones will be aimed for Dubai. And then ultimately, if they're good enough, they'll be sent towards the Derby. So I agree with you 100%. Uh, I just think that, you know, it just I think it provides an alternative option for those that are not good enough to 
try their luck or maybe owners that don't have enough money to, you know, pay up to have their horse shipped across or are not comfortable enough to ship their horse, you know, half around the world to run in a uh, chaotic Kentucky Derby. So certainly it, it just, it provides more options and allows horses that, you know, just want to stay home and, and collect the uh, vast amount of prize money that's still available in Japan. And, and, you know, it's in their backyard as opposed to having ship halfway across the world to run in a mile and quarter race, for instance. So uh, certainly I agree that I just think that, you know, the top ones will continue to be aimed for those uh, key key prep races to the Derby. Uh, most importantly, that the UAE Derby is kind of, that's the, you know, path of, that I've seen, we've all continued to see from Japan or the JRA horses that are dirt, dirt horses at least, uh, and then on to the Derby. So I think that'll continue. I love the idea, just generally speaking in racing, of creating divisions as something that I really think can help the sport. It's something there's been some chatter about, uh, in, in U.S. racing about trying to come up with with more, for example, I mean, Marshall Graham and I are always talking about how great would it be if there were more, you know, races for older dirt horses that, that want to run really long. Like how, they, there's so many horses out there that, that, you know, aren't fast enough necessarily to compete at the distances that we see all the time. How cool would it be to create a division for those? We saw this happen with, with turf sprinters. You know, it wasn't that long ago that it turned, well, I mean, a couple decades now, I guess, but yep. you know, there was a time in, in within our, uh, you know, easy memory that turf sprinting wasn't really a thing. Divisions have been created around that. This idea of trying to create more of a division for Japanese dirt horses, absolutely something that could work. And, and, and definitely glad that, uh, Glad, glad to have the chance to, to talk about it on here, even though if it's not on our, our uh, sponsors circuit. But let's get back to the big race on Saturday night into Sunday morning. This February stakes, really, really interesting. Some familiar names in here, some horses who've run in this race uh, b- before and ones that we've talked about on these shows. Uh, what do you think the top story is, though, heading into the, the February stakes this year? I think the top story, Pete, is just the fact of who's not here. That's all. So... You know, traditionally, you would see a lot of horses that are, are going to run here and then on to uh, the, the, you know, Dubai World Cup would usually be the, the kind of the path you'd see for the most part in, these, in this race. But uh, a lot of the big boys are actually uh, shipped over to Saudi for the Saudi Cup. So, you know, the, the three big dirt horses in Japan being Derma Sodagake, Ushba Tesoro, and Lemon Pop, those three have all shipped to Saudi and they'll run in Saudi, you know, in, in a couple of weeks' time. So that kind of left, no, I'm not saying the, the scrubs in, in Japan, but uh, in my opinion, it's kind of just leaving, you know, the, the, the chalice to be grabbed by one of the many in here. And there are a few in here that uh, I think are, are on the upswing. Uh, some most of them that are, you know, either four or five. And that's usually, you know, if you're looking at horses that have won this race over the past 10 years, most of them are all aged four or five. And, you know, if, if you're a chalk-eating weasel, you certainly, love, you certainly love this race because post-time favorites have scored at, you know, over 50% in the past 10 years. So um, if you love Chuck, this is your race every year on the Japan calendar. So, um, and, and it's really usually very formful. So you don't usually see that many long shots in this race. Obviously, they'll, they'll fill, you know, a lot, a lot of the back end of exotics. But, you know, in my opinion, uh, there's, there's three in here I think are really our, our standouts over the rest. Obviously, that's, you know, it's a, it's a horse race. They have to run the race. But, now, there are three in here that I think are quality dirt horses, uh, you know, both four and five. If you know, if you look at my top pick, I'm mean, look, probably looking at Dura Rede, uh, developing son of Duramete. He's shown him he can do it on both surfaces in his career. And he won the grade one hopeful stakes in his two-year-old career. 
and then pointed towards the UAE Derby in his first start of 2023. Ran very well that day, finishing second to, yes, Dermo Sotogaki in the UAE Derby. So uh, Shone has he has quality on dirt. You know, he shipped back to Japan. They tried him again on the on the turf. Didn't do much. He was pretty bad, actually. He even fell in the uh, – he, he fell out of the starting gate. The jockey fell off, off him in the starting gate in the, in the Derby. So he hasn't had much luck back on the, on the turf. So, you know, the trainer decided to regroup with him, and then they pointed him towards the Champions Cup based on his effort in the UAE Derby. So, you know, uh, they're kind of, you know, th- throwing things against the wall and hoping it would stick with Durr already that day. And sure enough, it did. He, he ran a valiant third to the town's talent, lemon pop. He then stretched out in his last start in the uh, Tokyo Daishoten. And, and, you know, my top three horses in here for my selections will be exiting that Tokyo Daishoten. Uh, that's a race won by Ushba Tesoro. You know, he finished third that day to Ushba Tesoro at a mile and a quarter. You know, he possesses early speed. I think that you can work out the trip in here. Um, and I, I think he'll have, you know, first run a lot of the closers in here. And I think he's the kind of the, the, the horse to beat, in my opinion, especially as a horse that's going to be developing now as a, you know, three-turn, four-year-old. How about um, the distance for uh, for, for Duro? Do you, you think it will suit? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I think it'll, it'll be fine. I think as a, you know, as the first race of the year, it'll be a very good prep for him. You know, if they're going to be aiming for the Dubai World Cup, I think this is a perfect prep for him. Uh, again, he has early speed, so I think that, you know, the distance won't be a problem. Uh, he'll be forwardly placed, and if he's good enough, I think he can get the job done. Uh, there, there isn't that much pace in here. There is some pace, so I think he'll he'll probably be sitting, you know, second, third, fourth in here, and then just make his run and, and try to hold off the uh, some of the, the closers in here. So, I think that's um, interesting, I think, Klaus. I think that's an interesting thing that you wouldn't, you know, if you're looking at a U.S. horse that's, you know, going a mile for the first time, and it would feel very unlikely likely that as soon as the Dubai World Cup that horse would be would be going 10 furlongs but in Japan between the way they're trained and the pedigrees it, it's something that seems much more achievable yes for sure you know and if we look at the other horse uh, who i think really is the the, the the probably the favorite in in here in my opinion uh, that'll be Wilson Tesoro so yes same owner as Ushpa Tesoro and this one is really kind of developing into i think one that will be replacing his uh you know, his, his brother, his stablemate, whatever you want to call it, in, in the future. Uh, you know, so Wilson Tesoro, very versatile horse who can be placed anywhere in the race. Lost pretty, you know, a heartbreaking loss. Lost him out to Ushba in the Tokyo Daishoten, again, over a mile and a quarter, uh, losing by a half length. Uh, very familiar with the Tokyo Dirt, having won twice already there this year. In, uh, sorry, in his career, rather. You know, he, he's by Kinnisan Black, so you think, oh, wow, he'd be he, he's should love the turf. Well, no, he hated the turf. Uh, was horrible in three career starts on the turf to start his career. And then another in Japan who's kind of had the light turn on when switching to dirt. So, you know, it's probably that uh, strong damn sire influence of Uncle Mo. Uh, he was second to Lemon Pop in the Champions Cup. And I just think that, in my opinion, he's probably, you know, he's a five-year-old. So he's certainly one that will follow in the, in the footsteps of Ushba and eventually maybe even better that one down the road. That's you know, awesome. I only spoke to the distance of, uh, of, of, you know, mile in here, I do feel that it may be a little sharp for him uh, in terms of the mile distance. But, you know, again, he's won, he's won at a mile. He's won at a mile and eighth. But I, I do think just that he's a little bit more of a longer-winded horse and would prefer a longer longer trip. So uh, I think he'll be closing late. He may not be able to catch uh, Durarena in here. But, again, uh, I still think that he's probably, in my opinion, one of the top dirt horses, excuse me, in Japan. And then one that's, uh, you know, was was really a, a – up-and-coming star last year as a three-year-old. is a horse called Mick Fire. He was a star in the NAR circuit last year and then lost a bit of his shine when, when you know, he raced in the Tokyo Daishoten against Ushba, Wilson, and a few others uh, in that day and really finished a, a really bad lackluster eighth that day. 
you know, prior to that, he was seven for seven, you know, including multiple stakes wins in the Japan Dirt Derby, Tokyo Derby, and, and Derby Grand Prix. So, you know, I, I think maybe for him it was a case of just too much, uh, you know, that the, the calendar was long for him and he just ran out of juice at the end of the year. You know, he's, he's a four-year-old son of a sinister minister, uh, could be any kind. Uh, and But, you know, I think that the big question for him will be, okay, uh, will he show his three-year-old dirt form again or – was that eighth more of a reflection of okay now he now, now he's trying tougher his you know he's being thrown into the deep end and you just couldn't swim very very well against the older horses so you know I, I think it's more of a, of a case of a longer season he was you know he had a lot of hard races very good horse uh, I saw some talent in there from him in those three year old races that he kind of excelled at so I do think that's you know because of that eighth place effort last time out his price could drift up and he'll be one of the horses that may be. You know, I'd say along the lines of, you know, anywhere from five to 10 to one, depending on how the board uh, goes on on Saturday, Pete. And uh, I think it'll be a little bit of value on there and one, one to watch. For me, as my handicapping and, and betting, you know, it's, all, it's always evolving. When you have a race like that, you're trying to explain away. It just all comes down to price. It's very hard for me these days to take a horse that might be in decline the next time out when they're going to be the favorite. But if you're looking at five, six, eight, ten to one, whatever we think that price might be, it becomes a lot more interesting. So potentially a race to, to lock up with those three top contenders you mentioned. Would, would you consider messing around with exactas with them? What, what are you thinking here in terms, are you going to play the board uh, and, and look for a whim about what are you thinking in terms of wagering strategy? Yeah, for me, I'll probably just play a lot with Durarede with him on top of a few others. You know, there's another horse in here I haven't mentioned, but there's a speed horse in here called Don Frankie. You know, hasn't tried uh, a mile yet, but uh, great, it's multiple great stakes winner. He's actually at by uh, out of actually We Miss Frankie, uh, who won the 2011 Grade One Oakley Stakes of Santa Anita. So certainly one that would but loves the dirt. Uh, lots of questions about the distance. I don't know if this horse wants to go this long, but I do think that you know he may be one that will just carry this field for a long way and then you know you'll have horses like dura and and mick and, and wilson kind of picking him up probably late so he may be a, a longer price and you make him at, at a price on the least you know maybe he can stick around for a second for third and and add some value to the you know exotics one to feather in as you're playing these jra races uh saturday night into sunday morning again make sure you check out in the money for full picks from klaus and the excellent team he's put together as well as past performances. If you want to dive in and try to find some winners on your own or mix and match between the two class, we'll look forward to seeing that content up on the website. And we'll also look forward to speaking to you soon. When, when will you be back? What's the next JRA action we're going to be covering here on the network? Next one will just be the Takumatsu Keenan, which is the uh, six for long sprint race. And that's uh, towards that'll be March. So, yeah. Great. Well, maybe we'll have you on back before that to talk uh, to talk about some of the Japanese runners appearing in Saudi. You were somebody from from the team, but always great to have you on and catch up a little bit. Feel better. We appreciate you playing hurt and we'll be talking soon. Thanks so much once again to Klaus and to Nick Tamaro, today's guest. Thanks also to our charity partner, Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga. Learn more about their operation if you head over to inthemoneypodcast.com slash horses. Also, our founding partners over at 10 Strike Racing. You know around here how we love to root for the purple and black. Thanks, though, most of all to all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.